Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today and I thank you for the word that you've laid on my heart and I thank you for this reading, Lord, and I pray that you would speak to each one of us, Lord, through your word, through your spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you would just let your light shine through me and let your word speak through me in this next few moments. Lord, we thank you for your church. We thank you, Lord God, for what you've called us to and who you've called us to be part of and together serving you with. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless, Lord, this church, this congregation, and that you would bless this time together, Lord. Speak to our hearts through your word, through your spirit. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Seb. The last part of that reading is the title of my message. Am I my brother's keeper? Interesting question. Sad story, though. Sad story, especially when you look at it as the first family of creation. Some people ask the question, is the world getting worse? Is crime increasing? It's an interesting question. And yet we look here, the very first family, brother kills brother. That day, Adam and Eve lost two sons. We have an angry young man, downcast, attacks, kills his brother. And you think, boy, if that was the very first family God created, <laughs> and you look at that question, you think, Are there, will there come a time where we don't need prisons, where you know, there's no crime? And it's almost like that scripture, Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. And it's just, it's a sad thing. But thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ, where you can see that turn around where you see brother attacking and killing a brother to brothers turning around through Jesus and through his grace, hugging and loving each other and getting on together. And I think what an incredible gospel message when you look at that. Sin separates us from God and others. We often forget that second bit. We just think sin separates us from God and he wants to restore us back into a relationship with the Father. That's true. But it's like when they tried to trick Jesus and they came up to him and said, what's the greatest commandment? Singular. What's the greatest command? And Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. But he didn't stop there. And he said, and the second is like it. To love your neighbour as yourself. And even through the Gospels, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. I think that is intrinsically part of the gospel message. It's not just about restoring our relationship with God, but it's restoring relationships with others. I think it's an absolute, you know, it's, it's, the, um, it's the cross. <laughs> you know, you've got the vertical relationship with God and you've got the horizontal relationship with our neighbour, with others, with our brothers. Am I my brother's keeper? When I was saved at the age of 20, Bundaberg in Queensland, 1985, you can do the maths. <laughs> um, somewhere in that time I wrote down a motto. I don't even know how or when the context of it and yet it has as much meaning to me today as it did back then. 
And I must have written it down somewhere, but to me that's who I am, is this motto. Titles come and go and you change job and you change occupation. Don't mean that much to me, to be honest, but this does. And my motto is, I am not saved for myself, but for others. That was, as a young Christian, that just was like the seed planted in my heart. I'm not saved for myself but for others. I remember as a young 20-year-old guy, mate, I could have ended up like Cain as a young 20-year-old guy. But through Jesus Christ coming into my heart and turning my heart around and teaching me, like, and I'm still learning lots today, but just how amazing is the transformation people can have through Jesus Christ. And I can personally testify that. And I thank God for that so much. You know, from a young lad who was shy, who would never want to talk in front of people, who probably didn't even care about other people. It was more about just me to becoming a Christian and then suddenly having this total flip (laughs) turned inside out. Where suddenly I looked and I saw other people like I've never seen them before. It's like I didn't even know other people existed. And then Jesus in my heart just literally exploded and I started to see people how he sees them. And I want to tell you, that was now, what, 85? How long ago was that? 15, 20, 30, 32 years. Actually 80, so probably 37 years. And I want to say that Christian journey um, from that day on um, you know, as we, as we had in the prayer request, there's challenges and there's valleys and there's obstacles and, you know, and all those things. But thank God for his grace and his love for others. And I just want to say thank you so much to Jesus, you know, to transform a person like me. But then what an opportunity to ha- you have that you can actually help to plant that seed in other people's hearts. You know, as the scripture says, we plant, we water and God makes it grow. Prison fellowship is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ in prison and we're seeing firsthand how it's uniting inmates to God. Man, the hope that floods their heart, being in jail, suddenly knowing that there's a God who loves you and watches over you, you can pray to him and he hears your prayers. The prisoner's journey, we're seeing that. Many inmates. The prisoner's journey, an eight-week course in prison. Christianity explored. Teaching inmates. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? And what does it mean to follow him? So exciting. With even inmates running it. I went to one of the um, courses up at Oberon. And there was a young guy. It's a young offender's prison. And one of the young guys there, session one, it's talking about um, the gospel. And they have, there's lots of interaction. It's a course designed to run inside prison. So there's lots of short, sharp little bits and pieces that make up the course. It's not someone sitting there for an hour just talking to them. <laughs> you know, it's quite interactive and they get engaged. And one of them is they give them a little sticky note. I'd love to do it here, but it'd take too much time. Give you all a little sticky note and just say, what do you think the word gospel means? And then when you write down what you think it means or even draw a picture, come and stick it up on the wall. And I remember that, and this young guy's just holding his little bit of paper, and he's like, and, and we don't put any pressure on him. If you don't know what it means, don't worry. 
And he's just like, I just in the front, and I said, oh, you ever heard of that word, the gospel? And he says, never heard of that word. And I said, I said, I was the same. I didn't become a Christian until I was 20. I never knew any of that stuff. Anyway, he's there, never heard of it. Anyway, I came back after session eight to the graduation and one of my um, things I wanted to do was catch up with that same young man just to see how he went. And he was bubbly and smiling and then in the graduation they get a certificate and someone said, anyone want to get up and share? He's the first one up. And he gets up and he just says, I want to thank, you know, God for this course because it's helped me come to know who Jesus is and you know I'll be getting out of jail soon and now I want to start looking at you know going to church and stuff like that and I've already talked to my mother about that and and I I think that's gone off is it? It's okay. Um, The other thing is though we've seen through that even in the prisoner's journey where some of the inmates came up and said, you know what? There were people that we wouldn't have even spoken to before inside prison that after we'd done this course, now we talk together. One of the guys... I'm learning a whole new world and getting to know other people. And I think we forget that part of the gospel and how important that is that it's bringing us into a relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, our Creator, but it's also bringing us into a relationship with others. And I think the two are quietly um, intertwined. There's a new program that Prison Fellowship's just designed uh, worldwide called the Sycamore Tree Project. It's based on restorative justice and I want you to watch this video. It goes for about four minutes. It hasn't started running in New South Wales yet so please pray for open doors. But we look at the prisoner's journey as that relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the sycamore tree healing the relationships that way. Let's watch this. There were two guys in front of me with guns pointed at me. He was climbing over the counter. He literally stuck a knife in my back. He hit me with a bottle. The only emotion I remember is just total fear. I was one of 78 victims. And um, I was fortunate enough to be one of the 17 that he didn't kill. When a crime is committed, the first thing we must do is catch and punish the offender. This is how we make our world safe. Prison sentences remove criminals from society and justice is done. But is this working? Around the world, prison populations are growing, communities aren't safer, and the victims of crime are left with feelings of helplessness and fear. Now there is a different approach, one where victims and offenders come together. It's called restorative justice, and the Sycamore Tree Project is changing the way we deal with crime. It took me a long time to accept that I've done a crime. Why have I resorted in doing such a a thing, whereas there were plenty of options that I could have done? If you are an offender, some people will just say, I 
He deserves to die in jail. He deserves to rot in jail. Restorative justice is having an incredible impact on prisoners, victims, families and entire communities. Thanks to Sycamore Tree, victims get to tell their story to the people who need to hear it most. What I'd like to really say is, um, you hurt me in ways that no words can ever describe. Why did you pick me? Was it just a case of wrong place, wrong time? I would like my offender to say to me that he's sorry and he will never do anything like that to anyone again. Prisoners come to realize the true impact of their crimes, not only on the victim, but also on their own families and loved ones. I didn't want to take the responsibility of my actions. That was hard for me to take my responsibility. This. For me, I, I'm deeply sorry for her because I've, pro I've brought uh, disturbance in her life. They realize they no longer want to stay trapped in a cycle of pain, fear, and hopelessness. I would like to ask for forgiveness for everyone that I've wronged. On the other side of forgiveness, you will find joy and you will feel like there is a burden that is off your shoulder, that something has went down. Real people, real stories, and real lives transformed by the power of restorative justice. Whatever you've done or whatever you've committed, when you come out, there's still life. It's never too late to, to, to begin from scratch. It's never too late. The Sycamore Tree Project is rebuilding people and restoring lives, and it needs your financial support. So be a part of this. Help make broken lives whole again. Gutsy. That's the gutsy side of it. It's a lot easier to just put someone in jail and let's not worry about all that stuff. And it's like someone's been hurt physically and it's like, don't touch me, it's so painful. And they just live with that pain. This is trying to address the issues and see restoration. And boy, I don't know how it could happen without the power of Jesus Christ. If you're wondering why it's called Sycamore Tree, it's based on Zacchaeus. When Jesus went to his house and he said, if I have wronged, I'll give back. And he did. So please pray for the Sycamore Tree Project um, and that together with the prisoner's journey in prisons uh, because we want to see less victims. You know, it's the ripple effect of crime in our society um, is massive. It affects us all, right? You probably locked your car before you came into church. True? Why? Because someone might take it <laughs> and your house and all those things. So crime affects all of us. And why we do what we do, we want to see transformed lives, loving God and loving one another. And when they come out of prison, 98% of people in prison are coming back into our community. So we can't just not do anything and think they're going to get better. So it's tough, we need to address it, and what better way than through the power of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Who do you think might be the best example of my brother's keeper in the Old Testament? Have a guess, shout out. Think of who do you think might be the best example of 
Yes, I am my brother's keeper. I'm going to look out on the needs of others. Come and have a guess. Who's first? Be bold. Joseph? Joseph? David. Who else? I'm just giving my opinion, by the way. It's not, you know, I just, I've got my favourite. I just want to hear what you're, who you think might be. Joseph, anyone else? Jonathan. Jonathan. David's cupbearer. He was a cool guy looking after him. Anyone else? One more guess? I don't think anyone's going to pick the one that I've picked. He always gets overlooked. I gave away to he. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll put you out of your <laughs> misery. Um, Job. You don't normally hear people say, I want to be like Job. Do you? And I want to show you some insight about Job, which has literally blew my mind out. I did some chaplaincy training about seven years ago. And I was doing this course and I was looking at Job. And it's one of those books where you kind of read through the first few chapters, it's quite exciting, and then... And then, then I kind of, but I decided I'm going to read all the way through it and I found these little triggers. And you have a listen to this, it's absolutely incredible. Job. And then it made the first few chapters make more sense because you've got to remember Job chapter 1 and verse 8, this is what the Lord said about Job. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. Imagine having a testimony from the Lord saying there's no one on earth like this guy. The guy's name was Job. Why? What was it about Job that was so close to God's heart that got the attention of heaven, that literally stood head and shoulders above the rest? What was it? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And we often just look at the first first few chapters of Job and we think, yeah, you know, he sacrificed, you know, he even sacrificed in case his kids got in a mischief after their birthday parties and so he would kind of on their behalf, you know, do a sacrifice for them. And you're thinking, man, he was, you know, sacrificed, he loved God, he worshipped God. Um, Another thing too, he was really, really rich, which is interesting. You know, and you think, God can use rich people too. You know, and so here's this interesting thing, but if you read through it, it takes 29 chapters where you start to get some insight into what Job was like before he went through his ordeal. And it's amazing how we look at people by the ordeal they go through. Someone goes through prison and they're the prisoner. And we don't consider their whole life. And we often miss so much about them because we just look at this ordeal that they're going through. I'm going to read some of the book of Job to you and just have a listen to this, how he actually had such a passion to reach out to other people. From Job chapter 29 verse 2. How I long for the months gone by. So now he's thinking, he's sitting there, he's got the boils, he's, everybody's mocking him. They're all thinking, you know, just give up Job and he's sitting in that distress and then he's thinking about the past. How I long for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone on my head and by his light I walked through darkness. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, 
when God's intimate friendship blessed my house, when the Almighty was still with me and my children were around me, when my path was drenched with cream and the rock poured out for me streams of olive oil, when I went to the gate of the city and took my seat in the public square. The young men saw me and stepped aside and the old men rose to their feet. The chief men refrained from speaking and covered their mouths with their hands. The voices of the nobles were hushed and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouths. Whoever heard me spoke well of me and those who saw me commended me because... Here we go. I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist them. The one who was dying blessed me or moved my heart. I made the widow's heart sing again. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind, feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. I thought I will die in my own house. My days as numerous as the grains of sand. My roots will reach to the water and the dew will lie all night on my branches. My glory will not fade. The bow will be ever new in my hand. People listen to me expect expectantly, waiting in silence for my counsel. After I had spoken, they spoke no more. My words fell gently on their ears. They waited for me as for showers and drank in my words as a spring rain. When I smiled at them, they scarcely believed it. The light of my face was precious to them. I chose the way for them and sat as their chief. I dwelt as a king among his troops. I was like one who comforts mourners. Job 30 verse 25. Haven't I wept for those in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? Job 31 verse 16 to 22. If I have denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I have kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, but from my youth, so he's going right back, as a young guy, as a young lad, from my youth, I reared them as a father would and from my birth I guided the widow. You know what? I'd love to meet his parents because they must have put something in a Job's life. As a young kid, he was already thinking that way about others, the needy, the fatherless. He had a passion from a young, at a young age, from his youth. He was looking at ways of how could he help other people? How could he reach out to the fatherless and the widow? From my youth I reared them as a father would and from my birth I guided the widow. Now listen to this language. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or the needy without garments and their hearts did not bless me for warming them with the fleece from my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless knowing that I had influence in court, then let my arm fall from my shoulder, let it be broken off at the joint. It's pretty strong words. You know, if I haven't helped people, let this arm fall off now. You know, his heart was so passionate. If those of my household have never said, who has not been filled with Job's meat, but no stranger had to spend the night in the street, for my door was always open to the traveller. 
So there's a little insight into Job, pre-ordeal. And we know the latter end of Job, he had blessed twice as much as he had at the beginning. Can you imagine what he did? I reckon he went straight back to the public square and he would have been just doubling his efforts in reaching out and helping people. What does that teach us? What it teaches me is it is impossible to be close to God and far from others. One of the best things we can do is to lead people to Jesus Christ. Because if they get close to Jesus, their heart is going to be transformed. We see it. We see it with people in prison. One of the things we do is help people when they come out of prison. And I remember looking at this strategy and I wrote down one of our unwritten kind of goals or if you could call it that would be it would be great if at some stage they volunteered or served others in some capacity. Did you know we've never had to ask one of them about that? Because it's automatic. Not one. I just watch. They get close to Jesus. They've had volunteers coming into prison, visiting them, taking their time, and they think, why do you care about us, scum? They come out of prison, they're so transformed through Jesus and through the others that are helping them that they're coming out straight away thinking, now what can I do? And you just watch them. And one of the good things is that really helps people's faith in Christ come alive. I look at it, it's all connected. You know, it's like draw near to God. We get drawn to Jesus and then he sends us out. And then we come back to Jesus and he sends us out. It's like this cycle. And it keeps you energised, it keeps you focused. It's, it's like not this straight line, it's like a cycle. You know, it's like we do this task and it's like, what's next, Jesus? What's next? And the good thing is he doesn't ask us to do it in our own strength. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news, the gospel, to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the broken-hearted to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. That's fantastic. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to speak at the Sunday morning service (laughs) for church. Yes, but also not just for Sunday, but for Monday out in the public square, out in the public places, wherever you are, wherever you go. The anointing is not just for the building here, it's for everywhere, it's for you to serve him. He empowers us as we kind of grow in him and it's it's for everywhere. It's for everywhere. And that's good news. You know, the spirit of the Lord's upon us, but look at the people it's for. The poor, the broken hearted, the captives, the prisoners, all those who mourn. In conclusion, wrapping this up, in Matthew 25, Jesus judges the nations. And what's his litmus test? You went to church, you read the Bible, all good things. But he says to them how you treated the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger the person needing clothing, the sick and last but not least, the prisoner. Interesting. 
Now, we know salvation isn't through works. It's through Jesus Christ. But I think this says again how it is so connected to the gospel. Restored relationship with our Father in heaven and restored relationship with other people. That's so much part of it. You wonder why I'm passionate about prison ministry when I look at that. It's not a matter of the prison thing. It's just I'm where God wants me to be now. And the best thing for you is for you to be where God wants you to be now. You know, and to who he wants you to reach out to. We're not talking about going gung-ho and burning yourself out and that because the whole concept of this is draw near to Jesus. Be empowered by him and it'll happen automatically. Just be obedient to that and let what he puts in you, the love of God in you, flow out to other people. Am I my brother's keeper? I think I am. How about you? Thank you for loving Jesus, loving others, supporting the work of prison fellowship to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to prisoners, ex-prisoners, families and everyone affected by crime. Thank you.